let's get into the Word. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Uh, some of you who've listened to me a lot, I may have told this before, uh, but I, I sort of joke around that I feel like I probably preach out of Genesis more than any other book, and the truth is it's because I probably read Genesis more than any other book. None of y'all may know this, but I kind of grew up a preacher's kid and all kind of spiritual and stuff, or tried to be spiritual at the beginning of every year. So anybody ever do this? You just at the beginning of every year, I'm going to read through the whole Bible. Anybody ever do that? Man, every year since I was like eight, I would have said, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. And yeah, I have made it through the whole Bible several times since then. But, but I can tell you that there were many, many years up through my teens, maybe even early 20s, where I would start well, man. And so I probably have read Genesis like 45 times because every time I say, we're going to read the whole Bible, I'll get through Genesis. I end up getting the numbers and I give up because, you know, that's numbers, you know, you get in all that stuff. But uh, I, I kind of joke around. I feel like I've read Genesis and know Genesis more than any other uh, book. And I've, I sort of want to go and look at a, a familiar story from Genesis. We're going to look at the story of Abraham. But what I want to talk to you about this morning, I'll go ahead and get you excited. Get you on, Go ahead and get excited because you may not be as excited at the end. I shouldn't tell you that already. But we're going to talk about receiving the Lord. Everybody say receiving. See, some of y'all, y'all, y'all can be real. I just said the word receive. Some, how many of you just felt a little charge, a little jolt? You wanted to stand up? Because we love to talk about receiving stuff, right? Come on. Y'all can be real with me. It's all right. We love to receive. But I, I think we're going to look at it from maybe a different perspective than we think. We think of receiving. We think we're going to line up and, you know, get zapped right here on the altar, maybe run around, maybe shake a little bit, and, you know, everything's going to be great. But I'm going to talk about a different form of how to receive the Lord. We use that terminology in a lot. I hear people when they get saved and, and people, you know, I'm talking to other ministers. Yeah, we had seven people receive the Lord. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that terminology. But I, the, the word I want to look at today, the way I want to talk about receiving is going to be a little dig, deeper than just accepting Jesus. All right. We talk about receiving the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's great. That's a powerful moment. But this is, goes a little bit deeper than just receiving, just a moment. Does that make sense? Because when I'm receiving those things, a lot of times we just think about it as a one-time event, a one-time occurrence, one thing that happens to us. But Abraham shows us that receiving the Lord is actually much deeper and goes beyond that. Let's jump in without any further ado. If you'll go with me, Genesis 18, I'm going to start with verse 1. And I want to walk through parts of this chapter with you today. It says this, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Again, this he is Abraham. And to give you a little bit, again, context, you can go back and read up to this, but Abraham, when we first meet him a couple of chapters before, his name wasn't even Abraham, it was Abram. And he had already met with God, and God had already made a covenant with him and said, through you, I'm going to build this great nation. You're going to be the father of all the people that I want to work through in this nation. That's a pretty mighty covenant. And so already they formed a very tight bond to the point where God said, you're so special, I'm even going to change your name. And that's when he became Abraham. So here he is, he's sitting in the tent door, it's in the heat of the day, I kind of picture maybe it was like right now in Mississippi at like 2 o'clock in the day where it's like just hot and you can't stand it. And in verse 2, notice what he did. He lifted his eyes and he what? He looked. It's very important. And behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to 
the ground. I'm going to pause here. We're going to come back, but I'm going to pause here because there is a lot of meat on the bone, so to speak, right here in this verse. So here's Abraham. He's just chilling. I guess he isn't chilling. It's in the heat of the day. He's sweating, and he's sitting there, and he's sitting at his tent door, and all of a sudden, there's an appearance of three men, and we see that he has a reaction. Now, if this were just three men that were coming to sell him a vacuum cleaner, or if this were three men with the census that were just coming to count, or if they were trying to sell him some encyclopedias, that's an old reference that some of y'all will get. If, if, if he's coming to do any of these types of things, I don't think Abraham's running out the tent door. He's probably running inside the tent door, right? Right? He's probably saying, hey, I'm, I'm not home. No, abla, whatever language you speak, we're not, I'm, I'm not, we're not doing that. But no, notice his reaction. He immediately ran and he bowed down to them. That shows you that these aren't just three random men, is it? And a matter of fact, this isn't a powerful occurrence. These three men were representations on the earth of the Lord. Are you with me? These three men represented God. And I want to make sure that we understand this and we're clear. This is very important. I want to show you something. Part of our declaration of faith... We believe in the verbal inspiration of the Bible. And guess what else we believe? We believe that there is one God eternally existing in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what we believe. No, we don't believe there are three gods. Don't let people deceive you or lie to you. You're tricky. We believe in one God eternally existing in three persons. God appears in the Abraham in, in the form of how many people? Three people. You may think that's coincidence, but I'm crazy enough not to believe it. It's coincidence. I believe this is the Lord. Everything we read about in the Old Testament, while I love to preach the Old Testament, is a parable and a complete uh, sort of representation of what we're going to see in the New Testament. Everybody understand that? So I believe already God is saying, look, I'm going to appear in front of my servant Abraham, and I'm appearing in three persons. You have people that sometimes will argue that. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, listen, if God, the creator of the universe, could create water, which is one thing, right? Y'all look at water. Water's made up of what? Two hydrogen molecules and an oxygen molecule, H2O. I haven't lost anybody yet, have I? H2O, right? H2O. H2O can exist in three different forms here on earth, can it not? It's all the same chemical makeup, is it not? It's the same thing. It's still water, but water can exist as liquid, which falls from the sky and fills the oceans and comes out of your faucet and hopefully filled up your bathtub today or your shower or whatever it is. It goes below 32 degrees, what happens to that water? It becomes a solid, it freezes, it becomes ice. We use it to put into our drinks to keep ourselves cool, that's great. It's still H2O, is it not? You heat it up above 212 degrees, what happens to that water? It becomes vapor, it steams. We see it when it's coming off a big pot of corn or butter beans or something you put on the table or guess what that steam heated up is powerful enough to to power engines that need to go across but guess what if you looked at it it's still h2o they're just moving at a very fast rate does anybody understand where i'm going so anybody on this earth who says none of that makes sense you serving three no i'm serving one god eternally existed in three persons if if he is powerful enough to create water that can exist in three different states he's powerful enough to to, to fulfill himself and to represent himself in three different states everybody with me He was God the Father from the beginning of time, but with him. He said, let us make man in our image. That means that the Son, Jesus Christ, was there with him in the beginning. That means the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was with them from the very beginning. Everybody with me? 
And so God has manifested himself here in three persons. This is a picture of the Trinity. The entire Trinity is interested and exercised in seeking to bless and save man. Do you realize that? It's one God existed in three persons, sitting in three different uh, estates and three different chairs, using three different purposes to try to find you. You realize God the Father sat on high and created you. And then he decided, I'm going to send my son down to save you. God the Son left his glory in heaven when he didn't have to, and he came and lived a sinless life on earth, and he took a punishment and a death that he didn't deserve. Why did he do that? Because he loved who? You and I. And then God the Holy Spirit came down on earth on the day of Pentecost, and it, it came with the sole identity deal to rest in the heart of the believer. The person who accepts Jesus as their Savior. We talk about Jesus in our heart. I mean, I know we say that, and it's a figure of speech. I'm not trying to correct you or, or, or in semantics, but really it's the God, the Holy Spirit, that's living on the inside of you. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Does that make sense? The power of the Holy Spirit's what in, fills and indwells within us. It's his power that gives us the voice of truth and shows us what it is that we need to do. I'm here to tell you that the Spirit came, and he, he loved us enough to come and make his abode within the heart of the believer. Paul believed this. He, he summed up the book of 2 Corinthians with this, 13 and 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So you're thinking, wow, that was a great synopsis of the Trinity. What does that have to do with you? I'm here to tell you that God loves you so much that he sent every part of himself, all three states, all, all three versions of himself, he has sent and he has given to you because he loves you and he's coming after you. Amen? Just like in his covenant with Abraham, he was willing to send himself to Abraham to meet him and talk to you. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter who you think you are in your own perspective or what lie or what tent that the enemy has tried to put so you view yourself as worthless. I'm here to tell you, you haven't gone too far. The God of heaven came down and is chasing after you even right now. Yeah, that's good. Go ahead. And so we see already that God is willing to come down and come after you. The issue is not that whether or not God's coming after you or not. That's already happened and been established. Everybody with me? Doesn't matter if God wants you on his team. It's not a matter of if God wants you on his team. He's already proven he wants you. He loves you. He's done everything he can to come and meet you. The issue is whether or not we are going to receive his offer. It's whether or not when he comes knocking the door, are we going to answer you know, it sounds easy, but some of us treat the Lord like that traveling salesman or that person who's trying to proselyte us to another movement or that person who's, you know, trying to come sales. You know, we're just lock the door, turn the lights off, let's pretend that no, we're not home. Uh, y'all are looking at me crazy. Maybe uh, y'all are just more spiritual and never done that. That's okay. Y'all never gotten those calls. Psh, hey, such and such is in the neighborhood. Lockdown. You know, y'all ever done that before? Maybe I'm ashamed to confess that <laughs> growing up we did that kind of thing. It's funny to think of in that moment, but the serious of the matter is, is we have a really good offer that's coming. God has coming to knock. The Lord says, and the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and what? He's coming after you. He wants you to be a part of his team. He loves you that much. The problem is, is we don't receive him the way that we should. This chapter, this story, this incident of Abraham can give us a very good idea of all of the, the ways that we should receive the Lord. Are you ready? Let's look at it. Look again at verse 2. We read it. Let's read it again. 
Notice what it says the very first thing he did. He did what? He lifted his... Here's the first way that you need to understand that we receive the Lord. Here's the first thing that he's looking for. He's looking for looking eyes. Looking eyes. Now again, I know this may sound weird. I'll, I'll explain. But what he's looking for is someone who has a longing desire for him. Maybe you didn't, I remember as a kid, there would be times where either I was working with my dad or maybe it was just something, and he would say, hey, why don't you go look for this? You ever been that, that had that job? Go find this. And as a kid, as a kid, not now, but you know, as a kid, it didn't take me long to figure out something. The longer I searched for something, the less time I had to stand there with him while he was working. Okay, again, maybe just me, I don't know. But if, you know, let's just say I had to go find a hammer or a screwdriver, and let's just say that that process took 10, 15 minutes, I, I could look for that screwdriver and maybe escape some of the work. Anybody ever been there before? Hopefully none of you as adults are doing that now on your jobs, you know. Maybe if I just take some time, to, you know, hopefully that's not the case. But I learned as a kid what I would do is I would, I would look. I would be going to look. In the meantime, I'd, you know, go hide in the bathroom or go sneak around and, you know, just I was looking, but I wasn't really looking. Does that make sense? Am I lost anybody yet? You know what? Then Dad would eventually catch on. He'd come after me. He'd say, son, it's right here. And he'd just immediately go to where it was and pick it up. Oh, there it is. I didn't see it. That would usually come with some consequences and some tongue lashings and things of that nature. But here's the truth of it. Some of us claim, man, I'm looking for God, but we're really not looking for God. We're using lip service to say I'm looking for what I'm supposed to do, but in reality, we're really just looking for an easy way out of our situation. A lot of times we look for God's hand at work, but we want God's hand to work very quickly and very swiftly. We want it to, to work out in the way that we think it should work out. Right? I said this Wednesday. I'll say it again today. If you were here Wednesday, you'll hear it again. But I, I often joke around when it comes to God's blessing. I pray for God's blessing a lot. But, but, but I've heard stories and I've met people who give these incredible testimonies of how God's blessing just comes through random checks in the mail and things like that. Aren't those stories cool? Maybe some of you have that anointing where that happens to you. Please lay hands on me. I want that anointing. Because I don't, I don't get random checks in the mail. You know how God blesses me? He blesses me with like opportunities that are called jobs. And, I, and again, I'm not bashing you if you get, I believe in that. And I'm not saying that people who get those random things don't, I'm just telling you that I look up and I'm doing like five or six different things and I'm, I'm having to turn them down and figure out what not to do. Why? Because God's blessing me with opportunity. I'm thankful that's God's blessing, but that's the way it looks in my life. But I learned, you know, it took me a minute. There were times where there, that opportunity was in front of me and I wasn't accepting it because I thought God's blessing needed to be easy. Is this making sense to anybody in the, in the room? I don't know who I'm talking to tonight but let me, or, or this morning, but let me make something clear. You may have been praying and begging and seeking for God to do something in your life, but there could be an opportunity that's been right in front of you that you've dismissed because you didn't think it was God. I'm here to tell you, lift up your eyes and look around and see what God has for you to do right now. Quit waiting for the open door that may still be years down the road and ignoring what God has in front of you in this moment. 
I could preach a long time right there, but I won't. But I could tell you story after story where I thought that the will of God was a big, huge door that was going to open that was going to look like this. And if I would have kept waiting and just sat still until that door opened, I would have missed what God wanted me to do and being fruitful for Him right now in my life. Listen, God is looking for someone who will open their eyes and look at what the Lord has put in front of you. Yeah, it may not look exactly the way that you dreamed and envisioned, but I promise if you'll continue to take one step and put one foot in front of the other, guess what will happen? The Lord will continue opening doors and you'll eventually reach that vision He's given you. Amen? All right, let's move on. There's a longing desire. You look for things when you want it. If, if it's, you know, let me compare. I used the story of when I'd be working on a project with my dad or... You know, I didn't care necessarily about the project, so I didn't care if I wasted time. I was trying to escape. Well, guess what? As I've gotten older, if I'm in the middle of a project or doing a job and I ask my son to go find something, it's, it's a little bit different. Does that make sense? No longer am I trying to waste the time. I need the tool because I'm trying to get this done. I have things to do. Do you understand how the perspective changes? If we'll open our eyes and look around, we become a little bit more like Pastor Chase talked about last week. We become a little bit more desperate and we become a little bit more, you know, eager and we decide, hey, it's time for us to, to get this done. Is anybody understanding? If we're ready to do something for God, we'll start looking for God in everything that we face around us. Let's move on. He lifted his eyes and he looked. And guess what? Behold, the men were standing by him. And when he saw them, what does it say he did? He just leisurely walked out. Well, how you guys doing today? <laughs> Mug says he what? He ran. He didn't waste any time. He made haste. He was in haste to receive them. Guess what? I'll, t I'll tell you another story. When I was young, I don't consider myself a super picky eater, but there are things that I just, I just won't touch. Like, anybody all like that? I mean, I, I really am not, not a super picky eater, but I mean, my wife would tell you, I, I still to this day, I can't really explain why, but don't sit any green beans in front of me. I, 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 I love you, but I just don't, I can't do green beans. I don't know why. Mushrooms. Oh my goodness, mushrooms. I don't see how you people do that. If you do, I mean, it's literally a fungus. I mean, come on. I mean, the texture, the taste, I just, oh, golly, even right now, Lord help me. You know, those two, my mom would cook green beans and put them in front of me. She'd saute mushrooms. Her and the rest of the family loved them. I was just like, I can't do it. Probably the worst one that my mom would cook when we were kids, she would cook sauerkraut and cut up like hot dogs in them. You know, I know that's a thing. People eat the house. No, gosh. I mean, even the very taste, I'm not trying to get too cruel, but even the taste tasted like I was sick. You know what I mean? I don't want to put something... I didn't like tasting that when things were coming up, not when they're going down. You know what I'm saying? It just, I just couldn't do it. But I had parents like maybe some of you did, and they loved me. Look, they, you know, they weren't crazy. They didn't just sit there and force feed them down. But I learned a statement my parents had that, that, that kind of stuck with me. Well, son, you get hungry enough, you'll, anybody, anybody, am I the only one who grew up like that? Anybody grow up like that? Hey, you get hungry enough, it'll start seeming appetizing, right? Is that true? <laughs> you better believe it's true. I still, I'd have to be, I, have, I don't think I've reached hunger enough for mushrooms yet, but I'm telling you. 
The truth of the matter is, is when you truly get hungry, when you, when you haven't had anything to eat, when you need to, guess what? It may not even be the most appetizing, but guess what? You'll, you'll eat it, won't you? You know, I, I went through a season where I hated drinking water. And, you know, guess what I learned one day? You get thirsty enough, you'll drink some water, right? It's the same thing when it comes to the Lord. You, you become hungry for the Lord. Guess what? You'll receive the Lord. When you get truly hungry for the bread of life, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You get your life in a situation where it's messed up. You come to a point where you realize you can't defeat the enemy on your own. You get to a point where you're low and every step you take seems to be falling apart. You've done everything in your own strength to try to make life work and you continue to fail and you continue to find yourself incomplete and you continue just to feel uh, unworthy. I'm here to tell you, you'll decide I need something beyond myself and all of a sudden the bread of life starts to look really good. Abraham was at a point where he was, he had had communion with God, he knew God, and he was so desperate and hungry to hear from God that he was willing to have the bread of life. He, he became looking for it to the point that when he noticed that God had walked into the room, he didn't just sit back and try to be stirred and all prim and proper. He didn't try to become, you know, dignified and, well, I'll just, I'll just, you know. No, he got to the point, that's the Lord. He ran to meet the Lord. I'm here to tell you, you let things happen in your life, you get to a situation where the Lord gets your attention, you'll become desperate for Him to the point where you'll be ready to eat. The soul that is sighing for Christ is going to hasten to Him. Not only was there a longing desire with Him looking around, there was a ready mind. He was ready to meet the Lord, so He ran to them. I'm here to tell you, I think a reason why, and we talk about this all the time, I'll mention it again, I think it's good enough to mention it again, Sometimes we have it backwards. We think that we come to church, you sit in that chair, you listen to me, and it's my job to kind of prime that prompt and get, get you ready to meet the Lord. It's actually quite the opposite. The true hungry for God can't just live on what you're getting right here. Yeah, it's important. That's why we're doing it. It's what I'm called to do. But hopefully the point is to get you to, to, to a situation where you're fed today and you can't go until next Sunday to be fed again. You're ready to feed yourself again tomorrow. And you're ready to feed yourself again Tuesday. And you're ready to feed yourself again Wednesday. Is anybody listening to me today? This thing is supposed to be, you're supposed to be so hungry that the moment you wake up each day, you have to get into the presence of God some way and somehow. It's great that we can worship and we can praise and we, man, I get full on Sundays. But that didn't fill me up for the week. That filled me up until the next moment I could get into His presence. There's a longing desire, there's a ready mind, and then there was a humble spirit. Notice what he did. He ran to them, and then notice what he did at the very end. He bowed himself to the ground. The presence of God is looking for someone who will humble themselves. It takes humility. Listen, this is the truth. The closer you get to Jesus, the more unworthy you see that you really are closer we get to Jesus, the more we see truly just how messed up we are. Because when you're comparing yourself or you're viewing the reflection and the reflection of the perfect holy Lamb of God, we can't help but to feel in awe. 
I'm here to tell you, I'm not calling anybody out specifically, but I'm just saying, be leery of these people who feel so spiritual that they need everybody else to serve them and take care of them, and they look down on other people. That's, that's, there's not God in that. We get to the point where people feel they're so important in the kingdom of God that everybody else has to sort of serve them and stroke their ego. I'm not talking about spiritual authority. and I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about just people who feel that they have reached a higher plane with God than everyone else, and they look down on you. That's not God. Truly people who get close to God, there's a humility there. The more close we come to Jesus, the more unworthy we see ourselves to be. You see, the way to God is a self-humbling way. Think about it. The way that Jesus becomes our Savior, the first thing you have to do is admit that you need a Savior, right? The first step is humility, realizing that you within yourself aren't good enough, so you can't fix you. You need something that's greater than yourself. And there's nothing more hum humbling than that. Realizing that I am second, you are everything. A lot of times in this world, we, we, we want to, you know, the people who like to get on TV or even just talk and they sort of brag on all of their blessings. I'm not talking about bragging on what God does, but people start to brag as if they've done this out of their own merit. There's nothing we get from God that's our own merit. We are nothing but worthless rags except for His grace. Amen? I'm thankful for that, and it's important for us to understand that in this life, the Lord isn't looking for us to become arrogant people who are bragging about and getting so stuck up in our own ways that we forget that Jesus Christ is the Savior who died for us. He's the one who, who did the work. We're just simply recipients of His grace. He's not looking for people to stick their nose up. You know what He's looking for? He's looking for people who will simply humbly get up every single day and continue to do what He's called us to do. That's where humility comes, and, it's, and, it, and it sort of defeats the arrogance that we expect to just get up and do one good thing, and God just immediately do everything we want the next day, right? I mean, seriously, you know what? I've come to church three days this month, God, and I think you should just bless me with a million dollars. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but I mean, there's people who seriously get there. God, you saw I helped that person down by the interstate. I gave him 10 bucks. I expect that a thousandfold this week, you know. We get arrogant that we expect God. You know what God really was looking for? People who will humbly get up and simply do what he's told us to do day in and day out for the long haul. It's not a, it's not a, a short-term game. This isn't, you know... I'm no investment guru, but this isn't a cryptocurrency that we're looking to just bank on luckily one day that this is one of those IRAs that you're, it's going to slow and steady, but one day we're going to get our reward. Anybody listening? That's what the word is. He wants a humble spirit. Notice what happens next in verse 3. And then Mo Abraham says, my Lord. Right there, those two words are extremely powerful. We kind of just look over them as semantics, my Lord. My, you know, we even kind of sometimes maybe even say it in slang, my Lord, you know. Those two words right there are extremely powerful in showing us how Abraham viewed himself in the eyes of God. You see right here, those two words were a willing confession. The Lord is looking for a willing confession when it comes to receiving him. You see, those two words do two things. Abraham is confessing who he is. He says, you're my Lord. You know what that means? I'm not in charge of me. I'm not in control of this thing. You're my Lord. You're my master. You're the one I answer to. Is anyone listening? 
He's appropriating the fact that you are God, and then he's subjecting himself to his will. You're the one in control, and I'm the one who's going to follow your will. That's a lot of power in just two words right there. He could have went out there and said, hey, guys, what's up, fellas? My brethren, you know, he's going to make it really Christianese right there. No, he simply said, my Lord. He indicated the fact that these people represented his God. When a soul has found its way into the presence of Christ, we should expect to hear confession and testimony. When you truly encounter God, it doesn't take a lot of twisting of the arm or a lot of manipulation. When I get into the presence of God, as I said earlier, we come to realize who he is and who we are. I can't help but begin to confess of all of my shortcomings. I can't help but to confess, oh God, I have simply messed up. I have not measured up to you. That's confession. But there's also testimony. You are God and I'm not God. I'll never measure up and I'll never be able to be perfect like you are. But I can confess to that. But I also can testify the fact that even though I'm not the Lord, you are my Lord and you have my back. Amen. You are my Lord and your hand is upon me. Amen. You are my Lord, and it doesn't matter what I'm going to face this week. I don't have to face it alone. I have the God of the universe behind me, and he's going to help me through no matter what. My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So there not only was a willing confession that he is mine and I am his, but next, there was a love for fellowship. There was a love for fellowship. Abraham didn't just recognize and see the Lord and said, I'm glad I saw you. You guys move on. No, what did he say? Stay for a while. Don't pass by. Listen, I, I, I'm maybe going back and reneging a little bit, but go back to what I was just talking about earlier. There's a reason why the presence of God, I have to have it every day. Because it's just not enough for me to come in and sing a few songs and feel God's presence. It's powerful. It's amazing. It's anointed. But I can't go a week until I have that again. I've got to get into the presence of God every single day. Listen, I can't walk into my weekly workplace where I'm dealing with teachers and students and and people who and parents who are kind of angry and may come in and say anything at any time. I can't deal with that unless I've been in the presence of the Lord. In other words, I don't want to deal with that unless I've been in the presence of the Lord. I can tell you this. I I didn't want to wait until 8 o'clock worship knowing I had to speak to you this morning before I got into the presence of the Lord either. I had to get up at 5 o'clock and get in the presence of the Lord even before I got out of my house. Is anybody listening I'm not saying that to make me, I'm just telling you, that's me. I've got the presence of the Lord. I want the Lord to stay with me a while. I need to feel his presence with me in every decision I make. I need to hear his voice speak to me in every decision I make. I can't count on it being just in a place. I need it to be a part of my lifestyle. Abraham said, Lord, I need you to stay a minute. I need you to sit with me. I need to, you to talk to me. I need to commune with you. We need to have conversation back and forth. Some of you, the things that you're facing this very week, the Lord is saying, I can give you the answers if you'll just stop a minute and let me hang out with you. 
You just let us have a conversation. You keep saying, I don't know what to do, but you don't stop long enough to let us talk about it. Stop and let's have a conversation about it, and maybe I can give you some insight into why you're going through it and show you how you can make it through it. Is this okay? I don't know. I felt that strong in my spirit. That wasn't even in my notes. But that's, I'm talking to somebody right there. There was a love for fellowship. What could be more natural than this? The soul that has found the Lord yearns to abide in His presence. Why? Because in His presence is fullness of joy. Listen, I've been there. I'm not not even saying some of you. I'm saying some of me. A lot of me, a lot of times, have been in situations where I can't really explain it. I just felt down. I just felt upset. I just felt bitter. We all go through those seasons, do we not? The Lord will have you believing that people are out to get you or who have you disgusted over this door that may not have opened or that door that didn't open or he may have you disgusted that certain things didn't go your way and before long you just feel kind of down in the dumps. You feel alone. You feel disheartened. And what the enemy wants you to do is to lie down in bed at night and wallow around and, and try to sleep but continue to get up all night because you can't get over that heaviness. I'm here to tell you there's a place you can find joy, and it's in the presence of God. If you'll open up your heart and begin to invite the Lord in, if you'll begin to open your mouth and begin to sing praises to Him, He, can't, he, he inhabits the praises of His people. He will come in and invade your space right there in your moment when you need Him. The soul that's found the Lord yearns to abide, to live in His presence, because that's where our joy is found. Listen, there are things that can bring temporary pleasure on this earth, but none of them will bring fullness of joy. You know, I have hobbies and pastimes. Man, we're getting close to football season. That's one of mine. Look, I'm a season ticket holder. I go and watch Mississippi State. I should tell you, they, they don't give me as much joy as I'd like. I mean, I enjoy the process of going and watching, but if I, if I counted on that to give me joy, I'd be pretty disappointed. Even if it's my brother over here, he's an Alabama fan. They bring more joy, but they didn't even win it all this year. He would have been disappointed. You know, those things are great. It's good for us to have things that we enjoy and have fun with, but guess what? Eventually those things are going to fade or let us down. They're not going to bring us anything temporary, Right? You know, I talked about being blessed with opportunity. I love opportunity. I love being able to provide for my family. But guess what? There's no level I could get. I could get to where it was just I couldn't even count it all, and I would still, it wouldn't bring me the happiness that I need. Listen, I went through seasons in my life, if I be honest, where I felt lonely. I went through seasons where I felt like I didn't have friends. In my, in my, you know, I've told my story before. We moved around a lot. It was hard for me to make connections. There were times I said, man, I don't even know if I have one really good friend I can even count on right now because I don't even know where they are. I'm just... And then I've been blessed where I've been seasons where God has put people in my life. I have friends, but guess what? I can be surrounded by every single person I think is a close friend and still feel lonely if I don't allow the presence of God to give me the fulfillment I need. People on this earth can't fulfill you. Before I met my wife, I thought, you know, I just, if I could just find that spouse. Well, guess what? I'm glad I found my spouse. I love her to death. But that spouse didn't bring me completion into my soul. Only the Lord can do that. Is anybody listening to me? His presence is where we find joy. The lonely heart will find its home in the bosom of his love. 
So let's look what happens. He says, I want you to stay. Don't pass by. Go to verse 4. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Let me come and wash your feet. Rest yourself under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread in verse 5. I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by insomuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. I want you to notice something else. There was a desire for his refreshing. Let me, let me make sure this is clear. We find our fulfillment in the presence of God. Amen? But that's only a one part of the two-way street. I don't just worship so I can be filled and I can be blessed. The biggest mistake we as the American church have made is we have made church about what we can get from it. And we forget that the whole other side of the picture is church wasn't here for me to receive. Church was here for me to plug in and give. <laughs> I told you, receiving's going to sound exciting until we get here. There was a desire for their refreshing. You see, in our selfishness, we're apt to be satisfied by the presence of God. We love the worship when it's us that we're getting filled and we're the one receiving and we're the one that's getting refreshed and we leave the church feeling much better than we came. I'm thankful for that. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if that's the way you feel right now, okay? But if you leave and that is the only thing that has happened, and you've come to church and you have simply become a consumer of what God can give, but you haven't stopped to think about what you can give God, we have a problem. There's a broken issue here. We're satisfied with getting His favor and His blessing, but we stop short about thinking about, God, how can I bring rest to your soul and comfort to your heart? I know some of you, when I say that, you're even thinking, that makes no sense. He's God. He, he doesn't need any of it. The only reason you and I are here, the reason that he created man in the first place was why? So he could have someone who would praise him and give him glory and bless his heart. Do y'all understand that? I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I'm not trying to be, you know, sarcastic. I'm not trying to be, you know, cute or anything like that. But seriously, can you imagine? He didn't create Adam and say, Adam, I'm going to create you and give you a destiny so you can live your best life now and you can be successful and everyone will look at you and say, incredible Adam. Did, he, did anybody find that anywhere in the Bible? If you have, we'll talk. He said, let me create man in our own image so that we have something that will please us, that will praise us. You see, Christ gave us rest and comfort by giving himself for us. Amen? It's the whole beauty of the gospel. Mark was mentioning earlier. We've been washed in his blood. We're saved. We, grace has called us into the family. We don't have to worry about the punishment of, uh, of hell anymore. If, we're in, if we've given ourselves to God, we can have comfort in that. Amen? We can rest in the fact that he has paid the price. So let's give God his comfort and his rest on the fact that he gave himself for us. We should give ourselves to him. We should give ourselves to him. Anytime we start looking and shopping, and listen, I'm glad that you're here at all seasons. I hope that you have found a place to plug in and that 
We have become a vital part of your life. But I, and I'm, I may be stepping on a limb here. There's people who will correct me if I've gone too far when I say this. But if you chose this place simply because this is the best place for you and you alone, then we're not meeting our mission. If this is the best place because we've given you an opportunity not only to receive from God, but we've given you opportunity to plug in and be a part of his kingdom, then we're fulfilling our mission. Notice this. Abraham didn't just say, what did you bring for me? What can you do for me? He said, what can I do for you? And so they told him, do as you've said. And in verse 6, look with me. Abraham then hurried into the tent. He hurries to his wife Sarah and he says, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he took a tender and good calf and he gave it to a young man and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Here's the next part of receiving. You see, it's real easy when receiving. All we have to do is stand there and receive something, and it's great, and we don't have to work. Receiving the Lord requires a readiness to serve the Lord. It goes hand in hand with what I just talked about. Our lives were meant to give to the Lord, to bless the Lord, to give worship and praise to His name. He finds rest and comfort in that. But there should be a readiness to do what the Lord has asked to do. Love lends swiftness to the willing feet. I'm here to tell you, anybody who has truly received God, who has truly gotten a picture of who God is, cannot sit idly by and watch as the kingdom goes forth. But anybody who truly feels a part of the kingdom, anybody who truly has had their heart captured by a Savior and realizes what He's done for them, Those people are willing and ready, no matter what, to jump in and do everything they can to make his kingdom function and work. See, this is where the receiving part gets hard. But God didn't ask us to come just sit on a chair all the time. He wants us to get our feet wet a little bit. He wants us to get our hands dirty a little bit and find a way that we can actually be a part and contribute to what he's doing, not just take all the time. I'm sorry, I know the first part was exciting and I knew it was going to get to this point. I hope you know I still love you. But the truth is, is Abraham knew that he had received the Lord and so he was ready to do his best to serve the Lord, to make sure they were taken care of, to make sure that he had what he needed. I'm here to tell you what would happen in our lives if we woke up every day, not just looking at our own checklist, but looking at the checklist of how we could use what God has given us and gifted us with to bring Him glory each and every day. I'm a testament to tell you that he'll open up doors you could never imagine. He'll allow you to touch hearts that you never thought you would. He will make your life a testimony that you could have never written yourself. And your blessing will be much more than anything you thought it could be just materialistically. Amen? Let me show you something else. Let's move on from there. Verse 9. So Abraham was ready to receive the Lord. He was ready to serve the Lord. And so the Lord did what the Lord does, is when we show that we're willing to serve Him, we show a willingness to do everything we can. It's not an earning situation. We're not having to earn and, and work for His blessing, but just like we, you and I will do, if we see somebody going the extra mile to, to make sure things are getting done that they don't have to, what, are, what is our natural tendency to do? We want to take care of those people, do we not? 
Amen? I don't know about you as a father. If I see my, my, my children doing something, if my, my oldest son especially is at a point where my wife asks him to do a lot of chores, he does a lot of housework. If I see that he's going above and beyond just simply what she's told him to do, I, out of my goodness in my own heart, without him even asking, I'll find a way to reward him, right? And listen, I've kind of, in my, in my job, I'm still kind of new at it, but we talk about it every day, moving it to a point where I'm sort of managing and overseeing teachers. Guess what? We see teachers already that are going above and beyond what's in their contract. There's some that we ain't doing a thing above that contract, but there's people who will go above and beyond because they love what they do. Guess what we're going to try to do? We're going to try to go to bat. We're going to find a way to reward them. Does that make sense? If we're willing to do that, I, I quote the scripture all the time. Jesus talked about a father. If we're willing to do that on earth, how much more will the Father in heaven do the same for us? So I'm not going out here trying to earn his blessing, but I know if I do what he's called me to do and I'm loving people like he is, I know what's going to happen. The windows of heaven are going to open up and I'm going to receive blessings that I can't contain and that I didn't plan for. Look at verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here, she is in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, this is an important prophecy here, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a son. Again, the context here. Abraham had been told, through you, I'm going to build this great, incredible nation. You're going to be the father of all these people. Oh, by the way, Abraham, you're very old and your wife is very old and you're getting close to the point where you shouldn't be able to have kids. But Abraham served the men of God and so they gave him and blessed him with a word, a promise. They said, don't forget, we're going to come back. You are going to have that son. Anybody ever had a promise from the Lord? You may be sitting here, maybe it's been 10 years, 20 years. The Lord promised you something and it still hadn't come to pass. He's faithful to his word. Don't give up. Don't stop serving. Sarah happened to be listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And in verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were well advanced in age. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So in verse 12, she laughs within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? You can read between the lines there. I won't go there. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh no, you did laugh. Kind of like your kids, you know, you see them do something. I, just this past week, already, first day, I... Walking by a classroom, saw a kid throw something. I, Did you just throw something? What did that kid say? I didn't throw nothing. <laughs> throw anything. What are you talking about? Mike, don't lie to me, son. You know, getting to know each other. I said, this is one thing. You're going to admit that you did this. We're going to be okay, you know. That's the way I think about it with this. Sarah, knowing she laughed, the Lord knows all, calls her out on it. And she's like, no, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. But she had unbelief. She didn't have trust. She didn't have the faith. But Abraham had faith. And so look what happened. The men rose from there and they looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And then the Lord says this, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? 
Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Here's the point I want to make here. Once Abraham had received the Lord and he served the Lord and he was willing to do everything he could to make sure the Lord was welcome and he invited them into his life, He didn't do that because he thought a blessing was coming. He didn't do that to earn a blessing. He did that because he wanted to entertain the presence of God. But because he entertained the presence of God, he was not only blessed with, once again, the verbal word of God promising something he had longed for, his child, but I believe he got something greater. The Lord said, you know what? I'm going to bring you into my fold. I'm going to let you in on what I'm doing. I'm going to let you know what's coming. We're going to have such a close relationship that I'm going to be able to give you some forewarning of what's going to happen. I don't want you to be left out in the open or in the cold. I'm going to make sure that you know what I'm doing. How powerful is that? That the very God of the universe, not that he's going to open up the door wide. His ways are way far above ours. We're never going to understand it all. But how great is it that we can have such communion and fellowship with God that nothing becomes a surprise. He'll always give us a warning. Amen? I'm here to tell you today that if you'll open up your heart to receive the Lord, and I'm not, again, you're just like, well, I received the Lord when I was five. Great, but I'm talking about daily life. I'm not talking about just praying the prayer and when you got baptized and when we had the date on it. All those things are important and they're good. I'm talking about the moment you got up and said, you know what, I've got I've to commune with the presence of God every day. The moment I decided from this point forward, I can't live without being in the presence of God. I can't live without fellowship with Him. I'm going to look for Him in everything that I do, everywhere I go. I'm going to look for the opportunities in front of me that God is placing there for me to be the light I'm supposed to be. And when we do that, God's going to reward us by not only drawing us close to Him, He's going to reveal His heart to us. And he's going to give us the desires of our heart. Amen? I want you to stand with me this morning. It's pretty simple. may not have been something super theologically revealing to you, but I believe that there's some in here. Maybe it's just one in here. And if it's just one, then that's okay. I've done my job. If you'll bow your hearts with me for just a moment. Allow Holy Spirit to begin to speak with you. There's some in here. But maybe you found yourself, as I was speaking earlier, you found yourself bitter and upset. You know, the Bible says that a promise deferred makes the heart sick. Maybe there's something you've been waiting for, something you've been hoping for, and it hadn't happened on your time frame, and it's begun to make you weary and make you bitter and make you upset. Maybe it's allowed an open door for the enemy to begin to speak lies into your soul. Maybe you're here and you've just been battling and battling and you, you don't know why. Maybe it's because you haven't fully received the Lord. Maybe you've been looking to your own strength. You've been looking to the ways of the world. You've been looking to the means of this life to fulfill you. When God's saying, just open up the door and let me in. 
I'm here to tell you if you will entertain the presence of God and make that a part of your daily life, make it a part of who you are, if you'll receive him in, maybe there's some of you here you feel like you've reached a block. Maybe you've reached a wall. And maybe the Lord is sort of calling you closer to yourself. Maybe there's areas in your life that you have, you've been coming, you've been receiving, you've been attended, but maybe there's something that the Lord's been pricking your heart to do and you've yet to reach out and lay hold of that ministry, begin that process of service. Let today be that day. And I'm here to tell you that once we reach and begin to receive the Lord in every facet of our life, it'll unlock his promise to be revealed in our life. Will you pray with me today, Father? I thank you today for who you are. We thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for each man, woman that's in this building. Father, today, open our eyes. Help us to look and be aware of your presence at all times. Father, it's easy for us to look big picture and get so focused on what's coming down the road in one day that we lose sight of the fact that you've called us to be fruitful today. Father, there may be opportunities that we've been looking beyond because we've been waiting for something else. Father, make us aware of what you want us to do right now in this moment. Father God, I pray that you'll help us to be servants. Help us to be quick to, to get on our feet and do everything we can for you. Father, you didn't create church just to be a place to make our lives better. Father, you created church as a place that we could plug in and make your kingdom bigger. So, Father, open our eyes to the opportunities we have to serve and to be a part of what you've called us to do. Father, if there's any in here, God, who may feel distraught or bitter, Father, open their heart to your presence. Give us a hunger and a thirst to spend time with you. And, Father, as we do this, those who have been, Father, there's some in here even right now, God. Father, they've been laboring for a long time. They've been committed Father, I just pray today, God, that you'll remind them of your promise and that you'll begin to open up that promise in their lives. Let them see the evidence of you at work in their lives today. Help us to know, God, that you've promised to take care of us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody in the place say amen. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. Go give the devil fits this week.